We are now in the fourth Sunday of Advent, and Advent is a season of waiting. Now, there's different kinds of waiting, like the waiting Christmas or children experience those days leading up to Christmas. Many of you probably know what I'm talking about, right? I don't think a day has gone by in the last month or so that my three-year-old daughter hasn't asked me, Daddy, is it Christmas today? This kind of waiting is full of hope and joy and anticipation and maybe a little bit of impatience, a tad bit. And then there's the other end of the spectrum on waiting, uh, waiting that's anxious and fearful. For example... Go to your room and wait till your father gets home. Anybody heard that one before? Yeah, maybe a few of us. Yeah, that kind of waiting's filled uh, with anxiety and fear about judgment and about punishment, uh, fear of an unknown future and what your fate might be. Uh, no doubt some of you have some uh, family gatherings that you're looking forward to here. And uh, I'm curious, how are you waiting? Are you joyful for those family gatherings? Just can't hardly wait. Yeah. How, who's kind of anxious about it and stressful? Maybe because you're cooking or hosting or... Yeah, well, it can be filled with either, right? These different kinds of waiting. Well, Joseph, in our text for this morning, he was waiting. He was waiting to get married. He was waiting to start his family. Waiting to take his place as a respect, uh, respectable man in his community. And he had worked hard to get to this place, you know, to earn a good reputation as a carpenter, to be able to earn a living and provide for a family, to be a respectable suitor for a wife. And he was engaged. And back then, it was a little different than it is today. Being engaged was, was legally binding, according to Jewish law. It was a big deal. It was like the first step of marriage. And so, it was a, this covenant between a couple and a community, um, a, a big deal. And so Mary and Joseph, their parents, their families, their community, were all just like really excited and joyful and, and hopeful of this, this union of this couple. And Joseph, he was no doubt filled with excitement and joy until he wasn't, until things changed. And the joy and the hope gave way to fear and vexation. Joseph heard these words, right? And isn't it amazing how one little phrase, one little word can totally flip your world upside down? How you can go from joy and hope to kind of fear and worry and stress. That's what happened to Joseph with these words. Mary's pregnant. That word pregnant, that can flip anybody's world upside down, right? Oh, the future is not going to be the same. Things are changing. And we know from Luke's gospel that as soon as Mary found out she was pregnant, she took off to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And no doubt Joseph was curious about this and wondering why his fiance left Nazareth. And perhaps he started to hear the rumors. Mary's pregnant, Mary's pregnant. You know, people gossip, people um, whispering about it. And maybe at first he was incredulous, no way, not my Mary, mm -mm. I don't believe this for one minute. But then perhaps he saw Mary. She came back to Nazareth and he found out that the rumors were true, that his fiancée was pregnant. Imagine 
being Joseph in this moment, the devastation, the fear. Probably was thinking to himself, how could she do this to me? Betray me like this. Of course, we know she didn't. No, she was the pious and dignified woman that he thought her, she was. But of course, he didn't know that at the time. He probably had these thoughts of how often do the ones we love the most hurt us the worst? How often do those who are supposed to care about us hurt us badly? How could you, Mary? How could you? And then think about Mary in this instance. You know, she was you know, destined to carry the Messiah. One of the most blessed of all women on earth. And yet she was about to be condemned of the worst of crimes. She probably had a lot on her mind, a lot to worry about, but the text doesn't say she worried or tormented herself about her current situation, but rather uh, she was calm and faithful and took her lot and pondered and treasured these things up in her heart, trusted that God who judges rightly would clear her name. This is a good lesson for us. You know, perhaps your character integrity has been called into question, but we know those of us who try to uh, those of us who trust God and, and try to live with a good, clean conscience, we can trust God will clear our names in the end and, and uphold our integrity and character. We need not be afraid. But the question remains, what's Joseph going to do? What is he going to do? And the way Joseph handles this situation, I have three points to share with you all, three lessons from how Joseph handled things. Um, number one, when you are offended, when you feel like you've been sinned against, take time to think, reflect, and pray. You notice uh, Joseph didn't uh, let his anger get the best of him and, and, and flip out and do something drastic or rash, but rather he went into a period of reflection, thinking, pondering, weighing his options. What's, what, do I got, what can I do here in this situation? How can I make the best out of this? And he really had two clear options. Number one, take Mary home to be his wife, and everybody's going to assume that the child is his. And then Mary's shame would be his shame. Option number two is bring Mary before the elders, and uh, she suffers the just punishment for her crime. Adultery was punishable by death, death by stoning. So those were his two options here, the clear ones. And as he pondered these things, maybe he thought back to Scripture and back to the prophet Hosea, who God had commanded to marry a harlot by the name of Gomer. And this was to be an example, a metaphor for God's faithfulness to Israel, even though Israel was faithless. Perhaps he pondered, has God given me a similar fate here? So on the one hand, he had mercy right? And in that Hosea passage, God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So on the one hand, he had the mercy, but on the other hand, justice and the law. What was a man to do? Well, we know he picked a third path. He kind of cheated the system, if you will, and decided to divorce Mary quietly. And that's where my second point comes in here. When somebody has offended you or sinned against you, Err on the side of grace. Be gentle. You see, Joseph, he wasn't willing to marry this woman and her shame to become his shame. 
but neither was he willing to condemn her to death. And some people who are of more of a Bible-thumping and legalistic persuasion would have probably condemned Joseph for being too soft, too gracious to Mary. We need justice in the law. But that's not what our gospel writer says. Our gospel writer Matthew writes, being a just man, he decided to divorce her quietly. It was a gracious thing for him to do. You see, Joseph feared God, believed in God, and wanted to do good. He wanted to show mercy, as God has shown mercy to him, to forgive, as he has been forgiven. So Joseph decides to err on the side of grace, and we we would be wise to do the same when people have offended us. And I'm reminded of the Eighth Commandment, Thou shalt not bear false testimony. My confirmands know all about this one, because we just had a test last Wednesday. Eighth Commandment, Luther's explanation is, we should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but speak well of him, explain everything in the kindest way, and defend him. This is what Luther writes. Err on the side of grace. Third point here, don't air your dirty laundry in public. So this is, a, this is a good one. Joseph, notice he didn't tweet out, you know, Mary's pregnant and I'm not the father. You know, he didn't proclaim that to the world, right? He didn't drag Mary onto Jerry Springer or anything for everybody to know. No, he didn't do that. He wasn't vindictive either. He didn't seek vengeance for being wronged. But no, he decided to handle things quietly in private. This is a gracious thing when we, in Christian love, look over, cover over sins so long as we don't have fellowship with them. This is a gracious thing. And aren't we glad Joseph did these three things? Right? He stopped and thought and pondered and reflected, and this gave time for God to work his plan. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is in conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Isn't it amazing how one word can totally flip your world upside down? The name of Jesus can do that. The name of Jesus can change reality. The name of Jesus can mend broken relationships and broken marriages. At the name of Jesus, the chains of addiction can be broken. At the name of Jesus, hearts can be healed and restored and transformed. At the name of Jesus, we can find peace and hope no matter what we face. At this name, at this word from the angel, Mary and Joseph's relationship was restored. Mary was indeed carrying the Christ child, the Messiah, the one who would save us from that which really vexes us, our sin. And the just punishment for our sin, which is death. Jesus came to save us from sin and death. And the one who tempts us to sin, the devil, Satan, the evil one. At the name of Jesus, the demons flee. 
This world's prince may still scowl fierce as he will. He can harm us none. He is judged. The deed is done. One little word can fell him. As Joseph heard these words in the moments that followed, in the days that followed, he probably came to understand and believe and know that his beautiful bride, Mary, is none other than that virgin prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7. And as these days pass and as the years go on, Joseph would come to know and believe and understand that this child is none other than that offspring of the woman who would crush the serpent's head that God had promised long, long ago. What wonder, what amazement. And at the name of Jesus, fearful worrying and vexation give way to a joyful anticipation of the birth of the Son of God, a gift for all of mankind, a gift for you, a gift for me, and for our salvation. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise Him. And it'd be so wonderful to just go from this picture of Mary and Joseph's relationship being restored, you know, a little snapshot there, and just move right to the next one, to the nativity. Go from the Annunciation to the Nativity, which we often do, and it's a beautiful scene. And don't, wouldn't it be nice if we just went from one glorious scene in our lives to the next? Like, you know, just the Instagram or Facebook highlight reel, and that was life. But of course, that's not how life goes, and that's probably not how it went for Mary and Joseph. The angel announced to Joseph, told Joseph, don't be afraid to take this woman to be your wife. And he did. And no doubt, people thought he was the father, and the shame would come. It must have been difficult for Mary and Joseph moving forward. I can imagine Joseph going to the synagogue, and the rabbi's there expounding upon the sixth commandment. And he nods over at Joseph and says, don't be like that guy. Just imagine what that would have been like. Did Mary and Joseph go and tell everybody that, you know, hey, Mary's carrying the Christ child? Did they tell everybody that? And if they did, did anybody believe them? Or imagine being Mary and Joseph's parents in this situation. Whew. Talk about a tough parenting situation, huh? Well, we don't know exactly. This is a lot of speculation. But uh, it might be safe to assume that it wasn't all rainbows and butterflies and sunshine for Mary and Joseph. But they faced adversity. They had conflict. And this would give way to the conflict and adversity that Jesus would experience in his earthly ministry. Um, he had plenty of that. And as we travel through this life, this journey called life, uh, we too can expect conflict and adversity. But we know we need not be afraid because our eternity is secure. Because we know Jesus grew up and he went to that cross. And he said on the cross, It is finished. The work that began at the nativity is finished on the cross. Our eternity is secured. Our past is forgiven. Our future is secured through what Christ has done for us. But like Mary and Joseph, we still have the present, right? The present moment. What are we to do? Well, our text gives us another word that totally changes reality. That flips the world upside down. 
that can take any experience, whether that be joyful or sorrowful, and turn it into something beautiful and meaningful. And that name is Emmanuel, God with us. Mary and Joseph would be on the run from King Herod and flee to Egypt, but they had Emmanuel, God with us, accompanying them. And we go through life, we're going to face hardships, but we have Emmanuel, God with us, through it all. St. Paul writes, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Here St. Paul reminds us that uh, life can be difficult at times, but God does not abandon us. So as you wait this Advent season, whether that's waiting for Christmas to finally come, or you're waiting in the store, or at the airport, or if you're waiting for that next family gathering, or if you're waiting for that relationship to be restored, or if you're waiting for Christ to finally return, remember you are not alone. You are waiting with Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.